Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. We beckon you into our bountiful, brisk breakdown of the beguiling life and times of a Norwich City fan. Tonight, I'm joined as ever by Andrew Lordy Lorne. How are we? Uh, none other than the Chief Operating Officer of Norwich City Football Club, Ben Kensel. Hello. Uh, our beloved John Punt is on his way um, due to childcare uh, issues, but we are also joined by Joe Ferrari in the room today. Hello. So you can try and be as annoying as Punt is during the course of our <laughs> chat. Um, nothing's really changed since we last podded. Norwich is still bloody brilliant, winning every five minutes. So we'll make the most of our esteemed guests rather than prattle on too much. And of course, we will challenge Ben and Joe to the ACN quiz before we let them out of our sight. We are chatting with you, Nodgecasters, on the eve of the visit of Swansea to the very stadium we're currently sitting in the bowels of. Norwich could pile pressure on the chasing pack, potentially moving a whopping seven points clear for third place. And so it's there that we'll begin. Lorne, if we go seven points clear, there's no looking back, right? Why is there looking back now? My point being, if we go seven points clear... It's as good as done, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not following that trap. Well, Thomas. my point being is, if we're seven points clear, we need to almost actively throw it away in a kind of Eastern betting patterns suspicion. Sort to, of. To, to not end up there. Because you're, yeah. you're then talking a three-game swing in a ten-game period. Yeah, and I said um, a couple of weeks ago, before uh, Leeds and Sheffield United played their fairly difficult games that they've had over the last period, that this, I felt, was the key bit for Norwich, like this next four weeks, because... We had winnable games where they had to sort of play each other and I thought if we could keep winning, which was by no means a given and isn't a given tomorrow, we can start to pull away and I think that does that pressure thing does do funny things to teams at this time of the season and if we can get seven points ahead this time tomorrow night, then I don't think Swansea, uh, I don't think Sheffield United and Leeds will both win over the weekend. So yes, tomorrow is a huge game but it's not... I'm always nervous when people think we're going to win. That makes me... It's the chronology of us playing first, Ben, that, that makes it a huge game, doesn't it? Because it just passed so much pressure on the rest of the weekend. Yeah, it gives us, if we get a positive result, it gives us a real competitive edge over the others psychologically as well. What I would say is, it's a cliche, but you've got to take them one at a time, only because if you look at it as a block, you're going to do, the next three are really, really important. Then you get the international break. And I think if you can go into the, that, 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 basically that final run and that stretch at the end, knowing that you've got some daylight and you've got perhaps a bit of a gap there that allows you to slip up potentially then that gives you real confidence so I think I think it's, it's the next three games I don't think it's just about Friday um, or Wednesday I think you've got to look at it as a block of three games so of that of that three games um, which of them frightens you the most Lord? Um I think tomorrow just because of the expectation of the fact that we're playing first you've mentioned that before expectation being you know when fans think we're going to win that's when you immediately swing the other way and just assume everything's going to fall apart yeah which is usually what you I don't like expectation for two reasons one it makes me nervous because I like to be contrary (laughs) so if you expect (laughs) us to win I don't Um, but also I think expectation is horrible in a football crowd like for me, going to football is fun. Like you go to have a laugh, and because it's fun, and if you go expecting to win, then you can only be at best satisfied. So I don't like expectation. Okay, um, with regards to that's why I do this for you. <laughs> why? Okay. Why? What about in the club? So Joe, coming to you, um, there's a real buzz about the place. Yeah, you've been here before when we've been um, on a charge in the championship. Um, you've been in here before we've been on a charge downwards of the championship um, and everything in between for two decades so what is the what's the kind of buzz like this time compared to those other times when we've been chasing promotion is it spreading throughout all of the troops in all of the positions of the club as much as it has before well encouragingly there are some similarities with previous successful campaigns which is there is a buzz uh, there's great momentum which is this amazing thing in football that if you could bottle it you'd, every club would be after it um, but it's very focused, so um, nobody's getting carried away. I know it's a bit dull for, for those who want predictions and, and bold statements, but um, you know, Daniel in his press conference today was, was, was reflecting obviously on Swansea and on the, the games coming up and where we are, and he said, look, 
every game is huge. You know, whether it's a mid-table side you're playing where people think, oh, that should be three points, a top-of-the-table away clash at Leeds, or, or a team down the bottom that's fighting for their lives like Millwall. Every single game you make a case to say, yeah, but that one's huge, that one's going to be tricky, that one's going to be a, a tough game. And um, there's just a lot of focus. Squad are really, really in a good place. Uh, really, really, they are buzzing, but they're not getting carried away. And I think uh, I watched them in training for a little bit today, and they were just the same as they had been at any stage, you know, earlier in the season. There was no difference. Really positive, really up for it, competitive. Uh, always, always competitive in training. And uh, yeah, they're in a good place. But Daniel was saying, you know, Swansea, huge game. Anyone who's turning up thinking, you know, these three points are in the bag, you know, that's a bad attitude to have. We're going to have to work hard. They are the definition of unpredictable. Last seven games, Swansea, again, I don't fact check, so this is what I'm saying. In theory, um, the last seven games are draw, lost, one, lost, one, lost, one. So, you know, <laughs> that is about as up and down as you can get. And uh, they're obviously due another defeat on that basis, and they're playing Norwich. So I, I go into the game um, full, of, full of expectation of hammering. Um, but then I don't have to be responsible because I don't, don't have a Norwich City email account. So, so I, could be, I, can, I can throw those things out there. So Ben, from a, from a club point of view, you're obviously having to plan for the two uh, possible outcomes. Um, what, how much is that changing from, from kind of week to week? Are, are you being, you know, honestly, are you being... You completely go in one budget and another budget, or if we maybe go on a run of two or three, do you start to spend a bit more time looking at the Premier League budget than the Championship one? No, 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 no. I'll be completely honest with you. The um, the the two budgets and the two business plans and the two sort of uh, operational plans are all we're focusing on at the moment because we have to do that as a football club, um, and one is not lost on the other because, quite frankly, if you if you don't end up going up, then you still have that. And that plan can then come out of the, the cupboard again as and when these situations arise. Um, but equally, you've got a championship plan that's robust and we know exactly what we need to do come the end of the season, in the close season. Um, for me, we're, we're not doing anything differently to Leeds or to Sheffield United or to Middlesbrough at the moment. Everyone will, will be working on two plans. And if they're not, then, then they shouldn't really be working in football at the moment. Because we've all been there before. I've been in the game for over 15 years now. So I've sort of been operating at Premier League level with Arsenal, at Championship level with Charlton, uh, Norwich, I've actually witnessed promotion via the playoffs with Ale under Alex Neal, uh, and now we're on, on a good run of momentum. I actually believe that, that we've been there before, and a lot of the staff behind the scenes here, uh, and over at Colney, we know exactly how we need to operate and act, and I think we've got the right things in place. Um, but no, we, we just need to really be absolutely true to the two plans that we've got in place and uh, we've been working really really long hours on making sure that we've got them plans in place. I think best laid plans is what makes a successful sort of operation on and off the pitch and you can't rush that. And I can back that up because I arrived at 5 to 8 this evening in outside Ben's office and there he was still at the laptop still pecking away at the two plans. So. Yeah. Well, the I'm not working at 5 to 8 in an evening. John Punt has just turned up. Hello. Um, so we've we basically pretty much finished the podcast. We don't yeah. get any opinions from you. We just need your shit quiz. Trip. You never want my opinions, um, mate. So what we were just talking about was how a lot of the staff behind the scenes... Such a noisy jacket. Oh, oh Russell, Coke, John. Um, we were just talking, Ben was making a great point that the staff both in the club here and at Colney, who obviously have had experience of, of doing this before, they know that they need to have a championship budget and a, and a Premier League budget. They know they need to prepare themselves both ways. Yeah. How much, um, I'm explaining that to you, Pat, and then I'm going to speak to Ben again. Cheers, man. Um, how, how much <laughs> do you think, therefore, that, that that might actually be a bit of a competitive advantage for us? I mean, as a, as a business, like not necessarily a football club, the fact that, yes, Leeds have got promotion ages ago from League One, and yes, you know, Sheffield United have got promotion, what, 14 years ago, 15 years ago? A long time, wasn't it, since they went up. So Warnock took them up. Yeah. So, again, I haven't fact-checked that. But when if they... Do you think that maybe actually as a business, do you know what, we've got 40, 50 staff or whatever that have been through this before, yeah, whereas a lot of them won't have done. I think we're, we're really well set up off the pitch, if I'm honest, um, whether it be commercially, operationally, uh, from a support services perspective. Um, I don't think that changes massively between Premier League or Championship. I think we've got a really good base. 
Um, financially, we've got a plan for both leagues, obviously. Um, we know the numbers, we've communicated them with Stuart, and Stuart's aware of, and his recruitment team are aware of exactly what we've got to play with in both leagues. Um, the swing is huge, and if you actually look at it, you go, championship, okay, well, that's a, that's a challenge. Premier League, okay, that's a, a wonderful place to be because of the broadcasting money flooding in. But actually, we're, we're all pretty level-headed. That's just the reality of working in this industry that you've got two plans. They look very different, but actually, there's some real excitement about being in the championship. I love this league. Um, you move to the Premier League, it presents a completely different um, set of challenges, but it's the best league in the world, so why would you not want to operate at the top level, be the best that you can be, challenge yourself against the best. But in the, in the championship, I look at it differently and say, right, well, how can we be better than a lot of others that have greater resources than us? Because let's be honest, Leeds is a bigger club, um, Villa is a bigger club, but actually, by us doing things differently, we can be better than them. And I think across recruitment we've proved that, off the pitch we've proved that, but it comes to fan engagement with your help as well, I think we've done that. And I don't think other clubs have, have actually really done the best that they could have done with perhaps the, raws, the resources that they've got. So how, do, how can we be the best that we can be in this league? And I think we've, we've delivered that or we're working towards that. The Premier League just presents different challenges. It's exciting, whichever way we go, in my perspective. You mentioned that um, Stuart Weber and his recruitment team. Um, that, that's an interesting point. I don't think, you know, because we've we still got a lot of season left to play yet. Mm. But on, on that, keeping that same narrative of we don't know which league we're in yet next year, um, how much does the plan change, do you think? And I know this is Stuart's remit, but give us an opinion maybe on, do you think that maybe Stuart's looking for a different type of player or planning for a slightly different system if we go up because we're going to have less of the ball? No, I mean, um, me, Stuart and Zoe discuss all aspects of the football club, so it's not a case of, I'm not the expert in football, clearly, but equally he will have an opinion on the non-football side and how we run that. So, so obviously, the philosophy and the DNA and the way that we play football sits with Stuart, sits with Daniel, and uh, the recruitment definitely sits with them. But, you know, I'm, I'm obviously privy to, to the plans and the targets and um, what the different plans are in each of the leagues. Um, but it's not my area of expertise to offer an opinion on it. Um, what I can do is I can offer support or I can give a different opinion on certain things um, or I can reinforce perhaps something that he is asking or Zoe is asking for um, my opinion on. And I think that's where, that's the beauty of actually having an executive, an executive committee rather than having a single point of escalation because when you have that in my opinion that chief executive model well, well who's actually sense checking whether that individual is going down the right, right down the right route and is that individual the expert in all areas I, I, I disagree I don't think they can be in, in the modern day football so for me when we talk about identity or the, the way that we want to play I don't, I don't think that can change because that's us that's a strategy that we've put down. That's Stuart's way, that's Daniel's way. So I don't know how that can possibly change. Um, but equally, it's for me, it's almost a case of, as long as we've got that communication there across the three of us, then that there can be no real hiding place because you can say, well, we discussed that before. So why have we moved away from the plan? Why have we deviated from that? So okay. <clears throat> 24 hours, just quickly, 24 hours ahead of plan Swansea. Swansea are the perfect example of why you don't want to deviate away, deviate away from that plan because they had an identity, they had a way of doing stuff. They got promoted, they stuck with it, they were really successful, and then for some reason. Yeah, they. They just suddenly blew the model up. Yeah, and they found, right, well, we're going to change what we do, and now we're going to spend loads of money on uh, players, and we're going to buy Leroy Fur, and here we are, oh, we're in the championship. And they've completely lost their way. Like, I think you have to have that clear thing of, like, this is, this is what we do, this is how we do it. If it works, great, we're sticking with it. We're not going to get promoted and then go, oh, actually, piss all the money up the wall. There's, there's also a point around. Um, we recruit now, uh, whether it be players, staff uh, at the football club, by, by values, um, also by expertise and obviously skill set and experience and things like that, but actually by values. And values, for me, you can recruit that. You, can, you know who you're sat opposite and whether they actually come across in a way that shows integrity, belonging, growth. You can, it oozes out of someone if they're that type of person. And I think you can have that in a player just as much as someone in a staff member. And I think if, you, if you're absolutely fixed on what your philosophy is and, and you live and breathe it, then quite frankly, they have to fit into your 
philosophy, your way, your identity, your DNA. Um, and I don't think we ever had that as a football club. That's just my personal opinion. I've been here four and a half years. And it's only more recently, over the last, say, eight to 12 months, that we've actually gone, no, this is us. And there may be a better person or a, or a, or a different player that's probably come across our, our club. We've actually said, won't fit into the group. And that's on and off the pitch, I might add. That's just not, that's not just a, a group of players. That's also a, I'm looking at the cultural setup of a commercial team or of a retail team or of an operational team. And I'm going, that individual just won't fit in to the culture. And that's what I mean by when, when you hear from the club, soundbites are um, you know, stronger together, and, um, you know, um, us being part of a, a union and things like that. We, we can be a lot stronger if we're, if we're actually united and we're actually moving on in the same direction. It's when that is quite disparate and people are sort of off and doing their own things. Mm. That's just a really bad culture to be part of. And I think that's what you're seeing. You're just seeing massive amounts of momentum from the, from the terraces, from the fans, from the board, <coughs> from the management, from the players, from the staff. There's that movement now. And that's where momentum comes from. People start to believe in it. Um, and this is what's happening. And the only feedback from other clubs, other club officials, other people within the game that have been in and around Norwich uh, because they've been playing for the last few years, etc., that they've noticed a change or anything? Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm privy because I travel to the away games uh, with the board and obviously home games uh, in the direct box if I'm, not, if I'm not walking the stadium or working from that perspective. The um, And I speak to and meet a lot of um, either oppos from other clubs or um, whether it be chairman or, or chief execs or, or chief operating officers, finance, finance directors, and a lot of them are, are noticing that we've got something quite special here but you can't put your finger on it and that's what they're sort of saying. It might be down to uh, what they see is what they get on the pitch but then when they come out five, ten minutes before kickoff and they just see this atmosphere that's been building over a period of time, thanks to you guys as well, it's almost a case of how, how have you got that? Well, you, one, you don't get it overnight. And two, it takes a lot of hard work. You can't just buy it, or you can't just sort of push a button and say, right, now we're gonna act like this. It, it, it has to take loads of different elements to come together. And, I, and I, just, I, just, I don't think you can really say, oh yeah, this is what you need to do. You, either, you just need to believe in it, and then almost deliver it because it's part of you, rather than saying, oh, what should I do now? Oh, I'll tell you what, it says that I should um, have a sense of pride in my club. Oh, so therefore, what what should I do? Oh, I should do X and Y and Z. No, we, we noticed that um, there was a real movement with you guys. So therefore, my first thought was, how can we support that? Not how can we own it, how can we support it? And that takes, and that's not a, that's just a, a, a sense in me that went, no, I want to support that in the best way that I possibly can. So how can we do that? And then the fan march, we don't want to own that. We, we want to support it. And it was almost a case of how can we facilitate this so as many fans as possible feel like there's a sense of togetherness or a sense of belonging with their club or a sense of pride. It, you can't really just put your finger on it. You just go, well, this is us, so we're just going to do it. Something really interesting you mentioned about the, the club and the integrity and the growth. And it's really obvious to see actually what's happening on the pitch and how the team's developing and the culture and the way in which we're playing. What does the culture look like actually off the pitch and, you know, kind of Coney with the support staff and here at Carrow Road? How do you want staff here to behave? You know, how, how do you want that culture to grow? Yeah, so basically we're quite prescriptive with that culture. We, we actually have our visions and values up everywhere. We have regular team briefs. I was going to, yeah, I just saw that behind you. Yeah. Oh, look, there you go. Uh, we have regular team briefs. Um, we probably have a much more heightened level of communication that we've ever had mm. across the two sites. Um, we have regular sort of communication meetings because that's key as well. But we also, what we don't believe in is, is being kind of busy fools. So what we want to do is we really want to stick to say 10 key objectives around how we're going to um, almost make a difference and then stick to them. And if, if one of them, if something that you're doing in your day-to-day -day work isn't resulting to one of them objectives, then why are you doing it? Mm. And I think it's just clarity is what, is what I would say. And I always use that word when I'm sort of doing a staff brief. It's about, right, what does good look like? How can we be the best we can be? But actually it's clarity around how your contribution as a member of staff can actually make a marginal gain to the boys on the pitch. Mm. And it could be down to a chef preparing the food. He, he or she's job 
is so vitally important because if we do that wrong, then quite frankly that has a detrimental effect on that player. And it's exactly the same to that member of staff that might be looking after, might be stewarding in the, in the tunnel, might be stewarding in the south stand when a, when a fan comes up to them and asks them for directions. Everything that they do, they're contributing to the overall sort of opinion stroke kind of feeling around the club. So that they've got to take pride in what they're doing. And I think it comes down to just clarity and key objectives. And we're, we're driving that. We're driving that hard. We're probably working harder on that culturally than we, than we need to. Because when, when things are going well at the club, commercially, quite, quite frankly, things are easier. Mm. Um, you're winning games. Uh, you're selling out games, effectively. And when you put your season tickets on sale, due to the phenomenal support that we've got, you know that you're potentially going to get as good a number as you got last year. Um, this year we got amazing numbers mm. and we were really thankful of that. And But not not surprised, I might add, because of the phenomenal support that we get anyway. So we've been working more culturally and creating a step change there. But also a lot more interaction with players. So our, the players and staff are actually much more joined up than mm. people probably ever thought, whereas perhaps there was a bit of a gap between the two before. Say you mentioned the being the best in the league that we can be at, at certain things, and that that kind of goes with off the pitch. And we've spoken to staff at the club who've who've echoed those comments. What do you think we're not the best at yet that we can be the best at moving forward? Yeah, um, from my perspective, I think at the moment we're we're very good at the doing, and we've got a real can-do attitude. What we probably don't have at this moment in time is a real strategic view of what the business looks like over, say, a five-year period. And I think that's because we're the executive committee is pretty much in its infancy. So what we've done is we've come in, we want to bring people with us on this journey, and we're sort of going forward and we're now planning for next season. What we really need to do is plan for three, four, five, six, ten years ahead. Is there a Carroll Road master plan for the club? So what does Carroll Road look like in five to ten years time and I don't think we're there yet on, on any of that because I think we're we're moving at such a rate that quite frankly we're just dealing with tomorrow or we're just dealing with next month or perhaps even next year at this moment because we started to do the planning a lot better but you almost feel like you're chasing your tail at times um, but it's an enjoyment uh, we're enjoying the ride and we just need to look a little bit further ahead and I think there'll be other clubs that are probably a tad more strategic in their approach, I'm probably doing myself a disservice there because that's part of my job. But I, I, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't yeah. tell you that. And I don't feel like we've necessarily got a a, a long term plan or vision in place yet. But I, th I do think we could do with a close season to be able to sit down as a as a three and the senior management team along with us to sort of right shape what the future looks like. And hopefully it will be in the Premier League. But um, if it's not, it will be in the Championship. And we're we're good and we're competitive and we know what we're doing in the championship. What we're going to do is we're going to run through some questions that have come in from the Lodgecasters. Uh, they've been in touch by Facebook and Twitter. Um, and we'll kick off with Matthew McGregor, who on Twitter says, what is the club's current position on safe standing? Well, we're, we're big champions of it, is what I would say. Um, the, cha the challenge with safe standing is that Tracy Crouch sort of uh, left, should we say. So... Uh, we've made some really good movements in that. Um, and I have to give Steve a lot of credit. He was a big champion of it as well. Um, I was I was an am as well. Um, I just think what we've got to do is pick up the baton and, and go and see Mims down there, the new sports minister, and from our perspective, move that along. I think whenever anyone comes into office, they, they come in and there's a lot of movement and a lot of work that they've got to do to get themselves up and running. And quite frankly, we've got really good relationships locally with MPs that want to support that. Um, and I've been doing a lot of lobbying uh, behind the scenes, quite privately, with local MPs to get them on um, my side and to, to put a name to a face and to introduce myself with a view that we'll actually go down en masse uh, to champion safe standing. Because we want to do it as a football club. It makes sense. Um, and we want to be one of the first to sort of actually implement it. Implementing it is very different to lobbying for it because um, there's obviously a whole raft of things that we need to get through there. But um, I think everyone at the club would love to see it. I mean, I remember the days um, on the terraces, not here at the club, but um, at the club that I, that I supported as a kid, 
and still do it, Gillingham, which, um, which you know, I didn't watch much football there to be quite honest because it spent more time in the air. But um, I, I just loved being on the terraces and I kind of, I miss that. So I, I don't know why anyone would want to go back to there in the, in the, in, in the possible sort of safety of rail seating or whatever it might be. And Steve's position was really clear. Uh, and I guess we haven't heard from you on, on the matter fully in so much as if legislation changed tomorrow, it, we'd have been ripping out the seats and putting it, putting them in. Um, does that position still remain financially as a club? Are we able to do that? No, I mean, let, let's be completely frank. We've focused a lot of our finances in different areas, like Colney, for example, where we believe that the money where it's being spent will actually have a direct benefit of those lads on the pitch. Mm. So I'd say... No, the money is not there or assigned to a safe standing project at the moment. Um, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't be and mm. wouldn't be. I just think legislation needs to change. We need to lobby again to the sports minister. That's going to take a period of time. And once that period of time and we really get into the, into the, uh, the, the meat of it, then we can actually start allocating funds mm. where we think are appropriate. I think you can't really have a fund waiting there at a football club when in the championship we we have to sell players to survive. Mm. So it would be foolish to have a fund that sat there waiting for safe standing yeah. to become a reality. Yeah, fund is a foolish thing to suggest. I'm just saying the club's position was really clear before and I'm just clearing it up what it is yeah. right now. Sexy! I want to have a row about VAR. Um, so this Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's not even in our league. Why are we doing that? Right. I want it, it, No, because, because normally we're not speaking to someone who uh, presides over a business who could be millions of pounds up or millions of pounds down, um, not this season, but in future seasons based on, again, it's in the news because over the Champions League games this week again, we've had... Um, some decisions that those who are the haters of VAR have got a problem with it. Now, I know we banged on about it a lot on the last pod, but I'd be, I'd be interested, from that kind of commercial point of view, surely you want the decisions to be as accurate as they can be because, you know, people might get sacked if a club gets relegated from the Premier League. You know, people's wages go down if you, you, know, if you change leagues, etc. There's a, pers- there's a premise in your question which is wrong, though, which is that VAR means that decisions are more... Accurate. They're still interpretation. The handball in the PSG game last night was an interpretation. It didn't matter. But it's early days, and I and I think we'll eventually get. We will get to a stage where they will be really, really accurate a lot of the time. But you're still going to have the problem. If you're PSG today, <coughs> you're annoyed with VAR because it gave the penalty. If you're Man United, you're delighted with it because the decision went your way. VAR I, isn't the. VAR doesn't make everything fair. It just changes how long the unfairness make, it, happens. But it will reduce the unfairness because just like Hawkeye over the line, it will stop goals that are very clearly ruled offside as, as, as being given. It will stop clear dives, clear um, handballs, etc. Yes, there will be some that you go, oh, was there contact there? Or was it handball? Of course, there, there will be that. I think they'll get better and better at narrowing that down. But there are whole swathes of, of, of goals over the last just few years that just simply VIR would have easily ruled out. We've kind of had this argument before. Do you want to ask Ben? But that's, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the, well, that's only because Lorne um, picked a fight on it. So Ben, I want to have did, a row. So, so, so with, regards to the, with regards to that row, weigh in on it. Can you see where I'm coming from? That surely as a, as a club, you think, I really want this to be as accurate as possible. No, I mean, for, for me, I don't think anyone should touch the beautiful game. I, I, I love debate, and I love the fact that you, there, there is injustice um, because it swings both ways. So, for me, VAR will come into the Premier League next year. Um, if we're lucky enough to get to the Premier League, we'll have to deal with that. Uh, logistically, in my world at the moment, I'm, I'm actually thinking about how do we factor that in uh, from a Premier League criteria perspective. So, I don't even debate whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just looking at it going... Right, we've got to implement that into our stadium. Uh, that that is a cost. He's going to go back to his spreadsheet straight after this. Right, uh, another <laughs> line. Oh shit! Didn't think of that. But, um, but no, it's uh, it's it's going to go in. Um, we know it's it's heading into the game. My views on it are kind of irrelevant because I I actually wouldn't have it full stop. That's so, interesting. But but that's because I'm a traditionalist and I believe that football kind of swings one way or the other and I love the injustice of it. So and I genuinely do that. Do you think it'd make your job easier, Joe, as a press officer in terms of dealing with lack of controversy? Um, no, because as you highlighted, you'd still have controversy and it's just another tier of interpretation that people can still argue about. I'm with Ben personally in that um, 
to me, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. So commercially, you talked about, actually, I think part of the commercial appeal of football that makes it the world's most popular spectator sport is its 90-minute format, more or less, um, with relatively unbroken action uh, and talking points and a human being at the centre of decisions that, that can affect the outcome. And I, I think the game should be wary of a corporate approach uh, and a scientific approach to something which is sometimes beautifully messy. Um, and I think, um, but if you asked our football colleagues at the club, I think they might have a different answer. And I think what they, what many people in the game want is a level playing field and accuracy. And, and therefore I can understand why, why the, the, the world's governing body is, is pushing for it. And I think it's about delivery as well in the stadium. So if you look at some of the other sports, cricket, rugby, that have similar systems in place, because of the flow and the ebb and flow of those games, it kind of works to stop and say, okay, let's all look at a big screen and ooh, there's the decision. In fact, it adds to the drama, arguably. In football, I'm not sure that is the case. And whatever you do does need to be communicated to the fans in the stadium effectively as well. So I think there are some challenges ahead. I think it'd be interesting to see how it's applied. Personally, I, you know, I'm not sure that it's going to improve the entertainment value, but I understand why it's in place. Yeah. Sexy! And Shane Watts Jones on Facebook says, if we get established in the top flight, is there any chance of a stadium expansion? Um, and he references specifically LED floodlights and pyrotechnics. On stadium expansion, can I just quickly chip in? Because with Carroll Road expansion, the, the mindset always seems to be city stand first, let's make it bigger. Can we not do that? Can we knock down the Barclay and make one giant terrace? That ends up over the tyre centre or whatever is over there. Yeah, if you have to, yeah. yeah. Just, just take out the corporates, is basically what I'm getting. Yeah, just go over the road. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Exactly. Like Villa, yeah, just a road underneath it. I think, um, I think there needs to be a Carrow Road master plan. Um, I don't think, I, I, I too, like you, kind of hear a lot of, oh, they've got to build over the city stand, or they've got to build the city stand, and things like that. I just think we've, you know, we've just done twenty-one and a half thousand season tickets, which is great. It's phenomenal. So there is a supply and a demand challenge there. But let's get this completely sort of factual here. We'll have around fifteen hundred tickets to sell casually for a top six game in the Premier League or a top three or four game in the Championship. At them points, without a shadow of a doubt, we will sell them within a membership scheme to the priority members, okay? The challenge will become, you could build a stadium that's 32, 33,000, and we could end up with some empty seats that no one wants here in Norwich, um, because we love to have a packed crowd. That's what we're almost famous for, um, especially in the Football League and in the Premier League. We're sort of the envy. We're the envy of a lot of clubs uh, when it comes to the, the, the bottom half of the Premier League around the fact that you turn up to Norwich and it's full. Um, and it is intimidating in its own way. And we don't want to be in a situation where, where we've got casual tickets and not enough demand for them casual tickets outside of the top six, top eight of the Premier League. So if we were playing a, a Bournemouth next year and we were sat on a 32,000-seater stadium, uh, which is what people are clambering for, and I understand that, we've got to be careful that we can sell that. So there are feasibility studies that need to be done. There's a Carrow Road master plan that needs to be put in place. These things take time. These, also, these things also cost money. And there's also consultation with local establishments, councils, and things like that. This is not a, this is not a shall we or shan't we decision. Um, this is a case of let's really think carefully about whether this is the right thing for the club and whether it's the best way to spend uh, the, the monies that we may generate if we're in the top league over say two, three, four, five seasons. And that's what I said about a long-term plan. I think we've got to be better at that. I think given time, I certainly will be, um, as will the executive committee and the senior management team here, and the board to start thinking about, right, we've got some stability. Now, how do we move the club on even further? But I, I, I don't think it's a sweeping statement. And I think a lot of people say, ah, just, just build the, the, the city stand. Because it's been this conversation, Joe, over well, for, for how long? Been, yeah. <coughs> 10, um, 10, 15 years from, in terms of yeah. if we get up, if you stay up for three years, we've got to, we've got to extend the city, Dan. And I hear that a lot. And I don't disagree, but what I'm saying is 
we probably need to base that more on, on, on well, facts rather than opinion. What David McNally did, amongst many transformational things he did for this football club, one of the things he did is he, he applied a bit of science to this question. So like most Norwich fans throughout my life, I thought, I wish we had 45,000 capacity stadium, you know, like so-and-so or so-and-so. Um, on the assumption in my mind that it would always be full, of course. Um, and actually, boringly perhaps, as a business, you have to say, okay, right, what is the cost of any proposed expansion? What is the impact on the surrounding area? How does that change as, as Norwich City Football Club has gone from being sat in a brownfield site to sat in the middle of a very different part of the city now with the riverside development and the road network around it? And what is the cost per seat and what is the return over X many years? Um, and I think you know David began that process, did some great work with the assistance of the UEA uh, in researching the kind of catchment area and crowds of other clubs and how it might work. And that's something that Ben rightly says that we need to do properly. Um, but yeah, look, let's, let's be honest, all that's really boring. I'd love to see a bigger car road. I think it'd be great. And I think you know, we could probably fill it because we've got some great salespeople at selling tickets here. So that's really, really cool model built in a couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's worth it, just for that. I actually as well, and I'm I'm speaking from a sort of privileged position in terms of having a season ticket already, so the amount of casual tickets doesn't affect me, but I would rather we didn't expand and if we did have that money we spent it on like the area behind the uh the jowl stand and made the match day experience better because the I and uh, the thing that I would say that we're not the best at at the moment is the actual match day experience, the bit from midday on a three o'clock kickoff through to seven o'clock in the evening, which would be a whole event at other clubs, maybe not in this country, but other clubs around the world, certainly, which we don't do. We rock up at five to three. Well, we don't know, but we rock up at five to three and watch the game. Back and, at five to three. Yeah. I haven't been there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there since then. 600 flags. But I think so. Twelve hundred. Twelve hundred flags. I would rather that. You gonna do it tonight? <laughs> Just keep going right up to. I, I'm not doing it tonight. There is actually word of going and doing a flag at some point one evening to get the big Pride of Anglia one out to dry, because right, it's okay. and it's drying. So someone's got to do that. Um, but yeah, I'd rather money was spent on making making Carrow Road more of a place that you want to come earlier. So that people get together, because I think all of that stuff helps the atmosphere, helps the club that's, commercially. That's like, what I mean by consultation with fans. Yeah. And and you know some will have loads of different opinions, but this common perception is is oh no we've got to we've got to extend the the city stand. You kind of think to yourself, well wait a minute, if we were quite transparent and we said right we've got some money to spend, um, in in the fullness of time, we should be probably a little bit more um, consultative when it comes to the fans and what what they believe we should best spend it on and, uh, in terms of ROI though as well you know, going back to what Joe's point was which is yeah being sensible about I'm going to spend X I'm going to get Y back I, I, and, and again coupling in what Lorne said about you know in, in this country it isn't you know you don't have that kind of um, uh, tailgate style thing and, and whereas you have it in Europe and obviously the States and if you've got fans arriving even an hour before in decent numbers, spending money on beer, food, events, merch, etc., yeah. and and then also a, a, a seriously nice place to unwind while the traffic dissipates, um, which is because you can't get anywhere anywhere. So I might as well be I might as well be staying in NR two one J or whatever it is for, yeah. for like another forty five minutes. I'll hang I then on go and sit in traffic for an hour. I'll hang on and watch the late game and have another couple of beers. Yeah, yeah, and 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 maybe and you can then do things like they do with the um, the NFL in London where they have like the stage um, afterwards and they'll have like former players and Q and A things and you can watch it if you want and you can drift in and out. And actually, that would probably be relative compared to building a new stand. That would be relatively inexpensive to, to set up, and it's a, it's a it's a possibility where yes, okay, you might have. Um, twenty seven and a bit thousand season ticket holders, but you could buy a ticket at a few quid to get into the fan zone. Okay, you don't have a ticket for the game, but you can enjoy that and then maybe be around the atmosphere um, during the game and then also be involved in it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we went to to Tampa. We were lucky enough to take the boys out there and have the whole winter training camp, and we struck up a really good relationship with the Lightning, who are, are, are effectively the, the sort of the Man City in ice hockey, um, and. That they've actually got quite a small stadium. I think it's around the 17, 18,000 mark. And they would never expand that. But what they have done is they've built a fan park out there and they actually relay the, the live action. It's free. Um, it's, it's on like a, a, basically a place called Lightning Alley, which is, which is very well branded and it's very cool. But I experienced the game out there where actually I didn't go in the stadium. I wanted to stay outside. 
and they were still selling all of the things that you said about merch, around drinks. People couldn't get a ticket because they, they were so heavily subscribed in, in the actual bowl, but they were more than happy to watch it outside. Now the climate helps, obviously, out there. But the, the whole premise of being able to come together as a community and watch the game, but you haven't even got a ticket in the venue, but you're outside the venue. I think that's quite interesting and quite cool. And, um, and, and you know, utilising our stadium for other different things. You know, when we have um, like World Cups and you see uh, shots of Bristol and Liverpool and the beer goes flying up yeah. and we score goals. <clears throat> well, why don't we do that at Norwich? Well, why haven't we? Well, no one's ever done it. That's the difference. Whereas we've got licences now to be able to do that in our car park and have a fan park. So for the Rugby World Cup, should we do that? Well, it's almost a case of, well, let's explore it. Um, when the Football World Cup turns around or the, or the Euros or something like that. Why are we not doing that? Why are we not being that kind of community hub here at Norwich um, within the stadium footprint to be able to bring people together? And I think there's real valid points in what you say around fan parks and things like that. And I think you make one. run it, actually. Uh, that'd be really handy. Where's your paying flags? <laughs> <laughs> Tom will do that. Up, this is, this is one little bar with me, Lonnie, and pints. We're putting pints down. This is escalating. Yeah, I pipe the flag. Go on. It's the same as the flags. It starts out with just one till, and the three of us stood behind it, handing out just 10 people get pints, and then gradually, eventually, we move up to a multiplex. But I think there's an additional interesting thing there in what you said, Ben, in terms of. You can't really get a ticket to go and watch the Lightning. And the same is true with the Bartley Lower. You can't really get a ticket in the Bartley Lower. But up until this season, there hasn't been a sense of of uh, like feeling lucky to have a ticket in the Bartley. Fine, yeah, it was very much like, oh, I've got a ticket in the Bartley because that's where I've always been. And they just went and they stood there and I stand there because that's where people sing. But nobody, nobody felt like they were lucky to be there. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that has struck me from the Twitter stuff that we get is people are now saying like, oh, I can't wait to get into the Bartley and be part of that. And I think some of the people who don't want to be part of it, which they obviously still are, will gradually drift away. And the nice thing I think we're starting to get now is this sense that being in being in the Bartley or being in Carroll Road is kind of special. So behave like it's special. Don't be apathetic. Don't just rock up, sit down, go home. Like enjoy it because it's a thing that not everyone can do. I think there's a really good point that you touched on, Ben, about the Carrow Road master plan. Because when I get into Carrow Road and I look around, and I realise the necessity behind it, but it's almost a bombardment of the senses in terms of advertising. So everywhere you look, in every conceivable corner of the ground, there is an advertising banner somewhere. And I think something that I don't think we're very good at as a club is actually celebrating our identity you know when you're actually looking pitch side and there's loads of stuff I guess you could do in terms of you know Nottingham Forest do it really really well in terms of really good slogans and former players and all the rest of it Arsenal in the Emirates now it looks great but some Chris Gordon commentary on Chris Gordon commentary would be amazing but it, it does feel really corporate when you sit at Carrow Road and you actually look around and I get that we need to generate revenue, but I think we probably could do that a bit better. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're spot on when you say around the generating revenue part because we're solely dependent on it as a football club, being uh, that that kind of self finance mm-hmm. club. There is such a dependency on extracting the maximum value you can out of every single spot mm-hmm. or area or piece of inventory at the ground. Um, Something that I'm actually quite proud of, but I completely appreciate that a fan does not want to walk into a, a kind of a corporate barrage of messaging, yeah. and a fan doesn't want to walk into that. Um, the stark reality is that if we didn't have that support and we didn't have the commercial revenue streams that we have, um, we wouldn't be in the position that we are in the league because we wouldn't be able to pay the players what we pay them and have the wage budget that we have because we have no parachute mm. payments. So it's a proper balancing act. Yeah. But I appreciate that... The, when and if we can get to a point where we are not so entirely reliant on the commercial income, then we should correct that. Mm. And, or we should at least take that area and say, right, how do we actually make this Norwich rather than, oh, how can we sell that? And that has always, mm. in my four and a half years, that's always been my sort of single focus. How can I drive the revenue to then put that back onto the pitch and make us as competitive as we can be? Perhaps to the detriment of Carrow feeling like you know the 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 Norwich home of football, mm. the um, living room. The bigger we are, <laughs> the bigger we are, the more cachet our um, 
brand as a football club has, and obviously that would be a established in the Premier League thing. But starting to get sponsors to say, well, if you want to sponsor that corner, that's actually going to be now a digital screen, and we are going to flip between, and um, you know, where's who and scoring that goal, um, and then you will come up in the corner as a brand on that, and you can sponsor that, and you can be part of that. Yeah. But just, I, oops, sorry, I was just going to say, I think actually that's a really interesting area where I think you can marry um, the desire to make the the stadium more fan friendly with the need to generate revenue because I think more and more partners are really interested in tapping into fan engagement and they don't just want brand exposure they also want like yeah if you said to them actually instead of uh, an advert with your phone number and the name of your company on it we'd like to have a, a banner that celebrates Norwich City Football mm. Club which also incorporates your branding that's the kind of path that you can go down to and one of the things that's a real challenge for us why this stadium master plan is such an important piece of work is you know, we, we love our old ground, you know, one stand built in, in 79, one stand built in 92, the Barclay, 86 for the city stand, this, the newest one, 2004, you know, it's an old ground and we love that about it, but it wasn't designed like a lot of the new stadiums with a big circular thing with a handy bit that you can put all your banners around on it, it is what it is and, and I think that challenge of how do you evolve this wonderful four-sided stadium that we have, achieve all these things that we're all aspiring to and retain its it's Carrow Road feel. It's a real, really interesting challenge. And it feels like that, you know there could be a balance to be struck because it is about those marginal gains. And if you get supporters kind of engaged in the feeling, then that is a marginal gain because they're going to get more behind the team and kind of feel at home. But I fully appreciate the challenges that that brings in terms of you know sponsors and the money that that brings into the club. So it's, I think there's a couple of areas, aren't there? Like and they started to happen a little bit, but. Like in the Barclay Concourse, for example, in in the that's corridors brilliant. under the stand, the stuff that would there's no is great. Yeah, and that's really good. So, but that's things, so that great sponsors, great sponsors. But that that is in, that's a prime example. That is Woodford's branding married with the Norwich City branding, yeah. and it makes yeah. such a huge just the branding yeah. on the stand is so yeah, impactful yeah. because it's green and yellow, and yeah. it's got Norfolk in it. You know, yeah. and there was but there were places. What I'm, what I'm trying to get at is there there were places that aren't commercially valuable. So as you walk up the steps into the Barclay, those two walls that you walk up, no one sees them apart from people going into the Barclay, so that would be a really good, cool place to do something. A couple of final things from the, um, from the guys on Twitter and Facebook, just because a couple of interesting points. Um, Daryl Allen on Facebook says, any thoughts on doing a beanbag for the Rotherham game at Carrow Road? Uh, okay, re- really interesting. Um, hands up, we, uh, uh, we didn't expect the type of um, response that we, that we got. If you actually look specifically on the Rotherham game we sold out within four hours yeah it was annoying and in hindsight of course a great thing but we, we should have taken that to a point system um, what I would say is that Leeds absolutely the same um, uh, kind of allocation took seven days to sell out so it's such a hard a hard sort of barometer to sort of look at it and say Okay, Leeds took seven days to sell out. We won't. We'll go on general sale with Rotherham four hours. What you know, like, and their allocation is ten percent of the ground, so they can't give us any more. Um, interestingly, with Stoke, uh, we've asked for uh, the maximum allocation. We're Wigan, well known now, but um, we te- well, we want to take five thousand. Um, and I, I genuinely believe if 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 we could, we would have taken more. Um, but in terms of a beanbag, I think it. It becomes quite problematic for us to to try and do that from a league perspective, especially with the red button now and everything that happens there. So there there isn't there is actually a, a, a logistical nightmare with a football league now with regard to beanbags on a traditional Saturday three o'clock. It wasn't there before. Yeah, because of the because uh, of the red button. Um, we could we we should always try, but we should have we should have effectively tried to put it on a point system to give as many people as possible. Still think it would have sold out in no mm-hmm. time whatsoever. With the Wigan game, um, obviously that's the club have done some tremendous work in terms of discounting tickets and discounting travel and all the rest of it. And I don't know if we've touched on this yet, but how much sway does the club have, or how much pushback does the club have to say to Sky, "Look, this is midday on a Sunday, lads. You know, you're kind of taking the juice a little bit to to expect people to get up at four or five in the morning to travel." when they've can cut or concurrently that weekend put on I think it's the Yorkshire Derby isn't it that we were talking about earlier today a, a way more convenient time which could have been shifted to that Sunday how much as a club can we say look actually this doesn't really fit with us or can you reconsider it is that yeah, are those no, conversations we have yeah we can give them uh, our opinions hmm. on things especially when it comes to our supporters travelling long long distances 
um, at times like four or five o'clock in the morning to try and get there on the coaches for, for, through the club. Um, the challenge is, is that uh, broadcasting is massively important um, and I- incredibly uh, sort of fruitful from a, from a financial perspective. So we're, we're blessed, uh, quite frankly, that we have the broadcasters and Sky that want to sort of cover mm. us. It's also to be expected when you're top of the league and playing the type of style of football that we are. It's incredibly entertaining with scoring a lot of goals. Um, when the, the whole process is effectively, it gets picked for Sky. The club is then made aware. There is then a also a, a consideration from the policing side. Uh, if all parties are comfortable, um, then Sky will dictate mm. exactly when that match goes ahead, um, and we get we get paid a facility fee as a result of that. Uh, that's not as good as the home the, the the home club, but we do get a fee. And what we wanted to do for Wigan actually became uh, apparent way before. Um, the sky, uh, the sky got hold of the game, and what we wanted to do was give something back. It was, it was massively about. We've got phenomenal home support, but we've also got fantastic away support. Great average of over sixteen hundred throughout the whole of the season. What can we do as a club? And I think the best thing that we can do is subsidise. Um, so we started out by negotiating with Wigan um, to get a competitive price point. Started at twenty five, get it down to fifteen, and that's our job to do that. We don't expect a pat on the back. That's just mm. our job to try and do that for the fans. Um, and at that point, spoke with the board, spoke with Delia, and and we just we just felt it was it was quite a compelling opportunity. Four games from the end of the season, and we believe that will be important mm. uh, to try and effectively match Wigan. Um, Wigan's average attendance uh, or actual attendance in the ground um, isn't as high as, as perhaps it, um, they would want. So that's for us, way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so perhaps we saw that as an opportunity to actually take a stand, create a bit of a yellow wall, once again do something from an initiative perspective where the fans would say, "Okay, let's go, let's follow the team, and let's really cheer them on." And I think we've we've been phenomenal away from home this year, and we've really entertained. But it had to be about price point, um, and it wasn't necessarily just about um, right. Are we gonna are we gonna um, almost celebrate our away successes and our away support by subsidising coach travel up there well no not everyone is travelling from the football club so we decided to put money off or take money principally off the ticket first of all make it so affordable that actually for them getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning is well I can go there for 750 or if I'm under 18 I can go there for £2.50 that's that's not even non-league prices Um, so we've that's cost us a lot of money but we believe that that's the right thing to do for the football club. And then when it got moved to that sort of time, it, we had to subsidise travel as well because it's probably going to be the most competitive and easiest way to get to Wigan and back um, by us having 20, 30 coaches flying up the uh, whatever motorway it might be. Um, to a, you'll be lucky, but A17. <laughs> yeah. Um, M6 yeah. it's a lovely road on a Sunday night <laughs> yeah, we're debating the way to Wigan it's gone all partridge fantastic services up there rising to the tank we all saw that Stephen had to clean Farkas' car for a fine so if Norwich don't get promotion how many times is Farkas going to have to clean your car <laughs> so what, I'd love, I'd love to get him to do that. To be quite so we, I might just spin the wheel anyway. Uh, we might just have a bit of a bit of fun with that. Um, I've actually spun the wheel, and I had to pay three times the fine. But it wasn't in front of the, it wasn't in front of the lads. We sort of did it as a, as a bit of a staff thing over there. And uh, what had you been fined for? Uh, no, because no, I spun the wheel. Basically, I, I didn't need to spin the wheel. We all just um, did, took turns because we thought we, that would be funny. Um, and actually, it came back to bite me. <laughs> so at a staff briefing, we were having a bit of fun. But I, I just think, once again, that's about banter. It's about togetherness, isn't it? It's about yeah. sort of having a laugh. So um, that's, um, I think that's quite commonplace, but I think um, I think it works really, really well. So would Daniel clean my car? I'm not sure he would. But um, Maybe pick a particular game that you feel we really need three points from, and if we don't get it, then, then that's what's on the line. Yeah. I better do a real thorough job. Look, if we take 5,000 up to Wigan, Okay. You clean my car? We will 
wrap up with the ACN quiz. You have got one minute, and you, Joe and Ben, you can gang up together on this. No, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, have, you just heard Joe like list the, the years. Exactly. That's the, the, exactly. This is, no specific yeah. questions. And as we know, <laughs> knowledge doesn't matter in this oh, quiz. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair. So, you've got one minute to answer six questions on football that has come from the internet. Now, um, uh, it's a fair, it's a fair sport. It's a fair, fair playing field. As I say every week, slow to really bridge, not. wind in the face. It's, it's, it's a fair playing field. But I have tried to make the, the questions sort of as easy as each other for the three, the three sets of people answering it this mm-hmm. week. So, Joe, Ben, remember to pass, and we'll come back to the ones that you passed on. Yeah. So don't waste your time thinking. Your time starts now. Gordon Banks played for Chesterfield, Stoke City, and which other English club? Correct. Who is the last Englishman to win the Premier League Player of the Month award? Rashford. Correct. Who is the only person to have scored more goals for Wales than Ian Rush? Aaron Ramsey. Incorrect. Which Italian midfielder has scored two goals for Chelsea this season? I don't know, I've got this. Pass on that for something. Uh, which team used to play their games at Highfield Road? Correct. Which Midlands club are known as the Saddlers? Oh, awesome. Correct. Uh, who is the only person to have scored more goals for Wales than Ian Rush? Geeks. Incorrect. Which Italian midfielder scored two goals for Chelsea this season? I'd give him half a point for pass. No, that, that joke lost on you? No. Okay, John good. Charles. Okay. Incorrect. Which Italian midfielder scored two goals for Chelsea this season? Time. Oh, the, the Chelsea one's gonna annoy me. Mm. Jorginho. Uh, and very good. I got. The, I didn't. Pass. Want, yeah, but I didn't want to give. Yeah, Pass. I didn't want to give him. They needed a hand. Okay. Well, that's four, four, six, 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 John Hunt, yep. equally difficult questions. Your yeah, time bollocks. starts now. Name one of the two teams Bobby Charlton managed. Leeds. Incorrect. Who was the last Dutchman before VVD to win the Premier League Player of the Month? Pass. Uh, after David Healy, who scored the most goals for Northern Ireland? Can't be um, Carl Lefty. It sure. is correct. Which Irish defender scored three goals for Newcastle this season? Does Kieran Clark still play for him? Wow. Which team used to play at Bellevue? Pass. Uh, Lorne will know that. Which Northwest club are known as Cod Army? Northwest? Mm, very, very Northwest. Coastal? Harleypool? No. Um, name East. one of the two teams Bobby Charlton managed. He played for one of them. <sighs> he hasn't managed Manchester United. No, he hasn't. No. Uh, who was the last touch from before VVD to win Premier League Player of the Month? Um, Van der Vaart. No. Uh, after David Healy, you got that one. Which Irish defender you got that one? Which team used to play at Bellevue? Uh, pass. Uh, <laughs> Time. That <laughs> was Doncaster. Yeah, was Doncaster. Doncaster. Fleetwood Town. Fleetwood. Fleetwood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Should have got Fleetwood. Uh, so. I would never have got Doncaster. So no, 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 no. There's no Middlesbrough in there. Name one of the two teams Bobby Charlton managed. Charlton? No, PNE and Wigan. Oh yeah, Wigan's only caretaker. That's a tricky one. And oh. um, who's the last Dutchman before VVD to win Premier League Player of the Month? I can't work out who VVD is. Virgil Van Dijk. Mm. Right, you are. It's just quicker to say. Robin Van Persie. Tim Krul. No, oh, yeah. nice. Me. Yeah, they were definitely as hard, weren't they? Yeah, they North. were as hard. Right, Lorna, you've got four to beat or two to beat, uh, three to beat, John. It's a good, good tiebreaker this week. Um, your time, Lorna, starts. Now, which Italian club did Jimmy Greaves play for? Uh, Napoli. Incorrect. Who was the last Irish Premier League Player of the Month winner? Uh, Wes. Incorrect. Who was joint top scorer alongside Dennis Law for Scotland? Um, McFadden. Incorrect. Which Canadian attacking player has scored two goals for Cardiff this season? Yeah, these are the same. <laughs> that's right. No, that's all right. You should get that. Um, you should get that one. Uh, which team used to play at Eastville? Oh, you made that hard. It was like you're a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know Doncaster. <laughs> right, pass. Do it. Okay, that's not how special subjects work. Uh, which team are known as the Minstermen? York. Well done. Which Italian club did Jimmy Greaves play for? Juventus. Incorrect. Who was the last Irish Premier League player of the month? <sighs> Ian Hart. Uh, no, who's the joint top scorer alongside Dennis Gore for Top Scotland? 
A Scottish guy. Yep, Canadian player for um, Cardiff, scored two goals. Wingery sort of player. Junior Willett. Correct. There you go. Um, which team used to play Eastville? Oh, no, Time. Okay. Bristol Rovers. Bristol Rovers is correct. Good Good knowledge, yes. Jimmy Greaves played for Inter Milan. Again, it's a hard one, but you just got to guess. It wasn't Ali McCoy, was it, for this season? It wasn't Ali McCoy, it was Kenny Dalgleish. He and Dave got got 13. I thought the the Irish thing was an obvious thing to guess. Robbie Keane. I thought that would be an obvious first one to go for. Um, But, yeah, you got York City. So, and... and, and, and Well done. So, we're equally rubbish. It's a win for Ben and Joe. given there's two of them and they got four it's really two all round yeah, so it's a tie break question just before we do the tie break uh, I was looking through the player of the month because I wanted to do something on that which is why I ended up doing the Premier League one um, can any of you name the last Norwich player to win senior so not the junior one which Madison won last season the senior championship player of the month before this season when we won it a couple of times who's the, the last Norwich one. player to win it so, uh, Grant Holt nope is it before? Is it well before that? Is that um, your sort of equidistant? That season. Yeah, that uh, 2011 season. it was. April 2011. It's going to be someone really random, isn't it? Like Simeon. Sermon. Yes, Simeon Jackson. Yeah, because he had a, he had one month yeah, yeah. anyway. He scored like seven goals. Seven goals. So the tiebreaker, and we'll start with our guests. I have to have an exact percentage, please. According to the BBC website, might not be right. What is Alex Tetty's shots on target percentage this season? I need an exact figure. You can have four guesses, so you can have one then, Joe, because you've shared your two points. Uh, 58. Uh, kind. Really kind. 37. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> 14. I think Joe's got it. It's 28% is his shot to target ratio. That's good for Alex. Bless his heart. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, thank you very much for your time, punk. Cheers. Cheers, Lorne. Anyway. Thank you, Joe. Cheers. Thank you, Ben. Cheers. See you next time, Notchcasters. Bye bye. Would you like to have a turn? I'm asking Ben a question. Yeah, yeah I think oh, it's Ben's question. question. You can ask Lorne a question if you want. We, we know Lorne's opinions. They're probably <laughs> not, <laughs> wor- <laughs> not <laughs> worth <laughs> the... the um...